Welcome to the Think Podcast, the show that tackles impossible questions from a biblical perspective with your host, Joel Sedekes. And now get ready to think. All right. Well, welcome to the Think Podcast with Joel Sedekes. I'm Joel Sedekes, and this is the show that tackles impossible questions from a biblical perspective to help you explain, share, and defend the Christian message. And I have here with me today my good friend, Pastor Reverend Dr. Right Reverend Ray Henry. Rafe, how you doing, man? What's up, Joel? <laughs> I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Dude, good your to mic is so good right now. Is it really? Yeah, that's a good mic. That's well, because literally right before that, right as you were setting me up, I couldn't hear anything you were saying, and I changed my settings, and so I'm nervous. I'm not even using the right mic. So if it sounds good, no, it's it definitely yeah, it definitely sounds better. All right, um, good. So, so we are live right now, and I wanted to bring Rafe on because um, Rafe is many things. He's a gentleman. He's a scholar. Um, but he's also a really good thinker about society and sort of the direction that things are going and how the church can meet the culture, um, not, not just follow along with the culture, like a lot of, uh, a lot of oftentimes we find ourselves as Christians doing sort of playing catch up, but, but really meeting the culture, heading the culture off at the past and anticipating some of these movements, um, <laughs> uh, I'm just going to go ahead and say this. Uh, I remember being in a meeting one time when, uh, Rafe, can I share this? I'm going to share it. Oh, I, there's a million things you could be about to share right now. And there's a 50-50 chance if you can share it or not. So go for it. Okay, okay. So I remember being in this meeting one time. I won't say where the meeting was. I won't say who was in the meeting. All I'll say is I was in a meeting and we were talking about what are some of the greatest threats facing the church right now, the big C church. Oh, I know where you're going. Yeah. And, and Rafe, said socialism I said, this, was, this had to be three or four years ago yeah it, it 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 was definitely it was probably 2018 or 2017 as we record this now it's 2020 in case you're listening yeah. later and um there was laughter audible laughter in the room socialism what are you talking socialism that's crazy maybe down in the south loop where you're at you know with all those college students but no that's not but guess what those college students uh, have grown up, they've yeah. graduated, they've entered the workforce <laughs> or, or wherever, you know, no one's working now, but, and, and lo and behold, uh, the entire, one entire half of the political spectrum is, is a deep crimson shade of red now. <laughs> well, I don't know if you can exactly call me a prophet on that one. I think that conversation was shortly after the 2016 election, after the whole Bernie wave back then and everything okay. that happened. And I was following that closely. Plus, I'm on, uh, I live and I minister right around UIC's campus. I'm real close to the heart of downtown Chicago. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, in our area, it, I mean, it's, it's happening again right now, but it just became a, a socialism. Uh, <clears throat> just, I just felt like every telephone poll had a piece of paper that said, come to the socialist thing, this, this event tonight. The library was hosting socialist events. And then actually right around the time of that conversation, I had a, Actually, I had socialists knock on my door, kind of like, uh, you know, as if they were coming to, I don't know, just have home conversations with people about socialism. And one of the better evangelism conversations I've ever had was that day, those two socialists who came in and got to sit down, open the Bible with them for, for about an hour wow. and talk about socialism and scripture. So, yeah, that was a while ago. That was fun. That's incredible, man. Way to take advantage of that opportunity. You know, um, that's it really strikes me as sort of a Jehovah's Witness approach. And, uh, you know, and it's just interesting yeah. to see a political movement taking on some of those religious uh, uh, strategies. Yeah. Um, yeah. Door to door in twos. They were coming. And, yeah. Uh, it was just, yeah. They were, they were taking the Jehovah's Witness approach. And so, yeah, hey, you know, if people are knocking on your door wanting to talk about the deeper things of life, for a Christian, I, there's no better opportunity. They're coming right to your, uh, to your, to your territory. That's Come. right. They're That's asking right. for the conversation. And if they're coming to the Chenery home, they don't know what's about to hit them either. Exactly. Exactly. They're in trouble. Yeah. Um, all right. So I'm going to plug my headphones in here. And um, so, so uh, Dan Osborne, who um, 
I think I think we both know Dan. I think Dan's a uh, a mutual. Uh, now Dan Dan's a good friend. Dan's and, a dear friend, and also my pastor too. Um, Dan wants to know who specifically left. So I Dan, we're not. Stop acting like a communist. We're not naming names here. <laughs> who specifically? What laughed? Left. He wants to know who left. At what? Oh, oh, name. I see. Yeah, the, the socialist conversation. Yeah. No, those will names that will not be named. That's right. Yeah, names that have since repented of their laughter. Have they? <laughs> Probably not. But they will. No, they will. They will. Um. So, so Rafe, before we talk about how society is changing, how the church is changing, and how the church is going to come out of this quarantine state hopefully better, hopefully stronger. Can we just talk really quickly about something that you and I have had to put on hold, but I know that we are very excited about, mm -hmm. and that is this initiative called the Think Sessions. What is the Think Sessions? Who's it for? Why are we both so pumped about it? Yeah, uh, <clears throat> so Think Sessions is kind of a, a 2.0 of an old project of ours. And so the original Think uh, concept was the heart was to get Christianity and the, the principles of Christianity and apologetics. So the ability to defend your faith, answer the tough questions of the Christian faith, uh, to get that in the public sphere and to create some kind of an environment where believers and non-believers were coming together, engaging on meaningful material, um, and then having conversation together around it. So originally it was the think conversations. And the again, the, the heart of it was here's, here's meaningful conversation. Right, so here's meaningful material. Let's think at an intellectual level about this. Let's cut through some of the, you know, the the barriers that say you're not allowed to talk about this. You're not allowed to talk about that. Let's go straight in there and talk about some of the more meaningful things. Hear from an expert on a particular subject, and then go and have honest debate, um, and debate and just conversation around tables. And the heart was to fill a room up with as many, both Christians, non-Christians, Muslim, whatever your religious background. Let's come together and hear it and go from there. So we ran that conference twice. Uh, we partnered with Ravi Zacharias Ministries in Chicago, and uh, it was really, that was a blast. I, that was fun uh, in terms of putting on events. That was probably my first stab at uh, um, trying to run some kind of a, a conference, smaller conference, obviously, but some, something like that. We took a break uh, last year for a number of reasons, had a number of other similar ministries happening in our church and just wanted to try something different. But this year, uh, Joel and I uh, kind of put our heads together and said, how do we revamp that old conference? And there were some wins and there were some not great things that happened with the first one. Um, one, of the, one of the first things we said is we, 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 we knew that with any kind of apologetics in our modern day, um, we, we want to be the type of voice that, and I said this before, but we want to be the type of voice that is not afraid to take a subject head on and, and just kind of cut through all the weeds and the voices that, frankly, a lot of the voices that are shaping culture aren't really saying anything. It's just kind of like chaff blowing in the wind. It's just like, like ideas that have no substance. So how do, we, how do we actually create a space to have meaningful conversation at an intellectual level with substance? and actually weigh the intelligence behind different ideas on topics of faith, uh, probably in a bit of a smaller room. So the last, you know, the last conference we had, we're trying to get two, 300 people in a room. This would be smaller, more like a, uh, more of an intimate space. So you could really discuss and, and dialogue. So the idea was a speaker would come up four weeks, me and Joel, we're gonna be the, you know, the two of us on the screen, we're gonna be the two teachers. And uh, we, we would rotate teaching about a 45 minute lecture on a particular topic. So week one was going to be discussing worldview and how does our worldview uh, shape what we believe about truth, shape what we believe about how the world works and who God is and are all worldviews equal. And if they're not, how do you determine what makes a sub substantive worldview? And what if you're standing on a false worldview? You know, what if you suddenly realize that someone gives you an argument that you quickly realize, man, I've been standing on a worldview that does not support itself, which the Christian would say is every worldview outside of the biblically based Christian worldview. Um, and so how do you create a space to have that conversation? And then after the lecture, there'd be a live Q&A 
uh, with the one who did the teaching and then a small group discussion around a table with a meal. So really trying to create kind of, I don't know, relationships over four weeks to, to get to know some people from different worldviews and really discuss and learn together. Uh, and so that was the approach with it. It was supposed to launch the week after Easter, uh, but with everything that happened with COVID-19, we're, we're going to have to push it back a little bit, and we're discussing about what that looks like to revamp probably in a few weeks or months. So the obvious parallel here is going to be to something like the Alpha Course. Yeah. Um, we've talked about this quite a bit, but what do you think separates the Think Sessions from something like the Alpha Course? Yeah, the approach is very similar. So uh, there's a lot of wonderful, I know the Alpha Course very well. Probably a lot of your listeners know the Alpha Course very well. I've been through the Alpha Course um, and enjoyed it. I think the um, one of the differences, Joel, that you and I talked about, the Alpha Course uh, is a very, um, frankly, it comes from a different place when thinking about apologetics. The Alpha Course puts forth a lot of kind of evidence-based Mm -hmm. um, uh, support for defending Christianity, which is wonderful. I think there's so much to learn. You know, in the Alpha Course, you're going to get, uh, you know, I, I always go back to that one video that just blows my mind every time. The guy who uh, leads, what, what is it, the Human Genome Project or something like that? Mm -hmm. What What is that guy? Do you know his name? Um, uh, I can look him up. All right, well, so he's just got it. There's a great sign, one of the leading scientific minds today uh, when it comes to the human genome. Uh, and he gets on there and, and he says in the alpha video, he goes, look, I had, he goes, I, I was a scientist in every part of my life, but I had never applied the same areas of reason and logic to my faith. Yeah. And uh, it's really amazing. And they, they, they go through evidence for the resurrection, evidence for all these things and evidence for how we know the Bible is true. And that's all very good. And I, I think that those are, it's a wonderful approach, very successful ministry, love alpha. This was going to be a little bit different. Um, so while that is helpful, I think oftentimes what you can do if you go that approach with apologetics is sometimes you can get down a never ending rabbit hole of <laughs> both sides putting their bit of evidence. And it's like, well, you provide evidence over here and now I don't know about that evidence. So I have to look up that evidence and then they provide evidence. And it's this back and forth of who can kind of be more intellectual over each other. Was that Francis Collins? No, it wasn't Francis Collins, was it? Oh, it might've been. That sounds right. Actually. Okay. I, I, yeah, I, it looks like, it looks like it was Francis Collins. I could be wrong, but if someone, if someone has a better answer, yeah. uh, drop it in the comments, but sorry, Rafe, continue, please. No. Well, and, and with that approach of apologetics, it can be great. It can really stimulate your mind and people can come to Christ through that type for sure. Um, but, but sometimes it can be uh, a, a, a trade of different pieces of evidence and how are you choosing to interpret that piece of evidence? Um, and that's a slippery slope to get on because honestly, <laughs> I'm, I'm not an expert in these scientific fields. I mean, I, I, li I like to learn about science. I like to grow like anybody else, right, and learn. Uh, but there's always more evidence to discuss. And so this approach takes more of what's called a presuppositional approach, where really the heart is to get into other worldviews, understand people on their own terms, what how do they put together their understanding of the world and kind of begin to deconstruct other worldviews and hopefully establish where the pitfalls are in other people's understandings? Because honestly, I think a lot of people are standing on interpretations of the world that they just haven't thought yet about the underlying principles that they're actually standing on. And once someone exposes this, once someone can get in there and say, okay, you're saying you believe this, but have you considered that if you believe A, you must also believe B? And then they look at B and they go, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't actually stand on that. Uh, that's called presuppositional. And that's kind of our approach with this was to really deconstruct other worldviews and help maybe spot some pinpoint, some holes that people don't realize they're standing on. Yeah. And ideally this will be part of a process because the the journey that you and I have gone on, let alone any follower of Jesus Christ, where you're, you, there's an initial confrontation with your worldview and your pattern of thinking. You know, in the old days, they would smash idols. You know, they would they would uh, demolish the, uh, the pagan temples and stuff like that. Um, but you know, nowadays that takes place on a very personal level, right? 
Um, but the, but it doesn't end there. The process is an ongoing one. It's a lifelong journey. So this whole idea of confronting your worldview and learning how to think consistently in every area of life, standing on a, a firm and solid foundation, that might not even make sense to someone the first time they hear it. And many Christians struggle with that when they first hear it, because so many of our presuppositions just are taken as common sense. Yep. You know, of course, logic is uh real and useful of course there's you know invisible laws of mathematics and of course morality is a real thing but when you start to realize that these things only make sense within the christian worldview you know it might be two or three times of hearing that two or three different videos two or three different lectures or meetings that's what we're doing it's not just a one-off right it's it's four sessions so shorter than alpha but longer right. than just a typical sunday sermon or a, a right. sunday school class um and it's it's designed to sort of walk people through that process and really to give them a good platform hopefully we hope if they don't know christ to become a follower of christ right and then and then ideally to get them plugged into a good local church and i hear you might be able to recommend a good local church um and uh but you know to help to help them really to serve as a springboard for the rest of their spiritual journey is that right yeah, exactly. And it, it's, you know, the, the point of it is to be available to people in all different places of their journey. Some people are going to come from different religions. Some people are going to be agnostic or secular or atheist, which are all religions, their beliefs, their faith systems. And some people are going to be Christians who are mature, Christians who are new in their faith, who need strengthening. And, you know, there's a lot of benefit that can come from a Christian getting their roots strengthened and realizing the cohesiveness of their Christian faith that actually yeah. it stands really strong when pushed against. And so I think there's people from all across the board that'll come. Um, and really that that's what would make it great. If you get that wide kind of swath of people from different places, um, then you get some of those meaningful conversations where you pull on each other. And, uh, you know, I think that I was watching a, a movie recently and it was a warrior learning how to, how to fight with a sword. And uh, the, the guy, the expert warrior came up to him and, and, and it's an interesting scene. He's trying to teach him how to fight with a sword by using a sword. And so they put the swords down and instead they pick up two wooden sticks. And the guy goes, the expert warrior goes to the guy training. He goes, okay, now we're going to do the, the sticks. And they start hitting each other with sticks. And the expert warrior just throws him to the ground and beats him with the stick. And uh, hi, sweet girl. My daughters are walking in. I should have locked the door. Can you say hi real quick? Hi, 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 sweetie. Hi. Can you go right back to your room? Have go have a little break for a little bit, okay? Joel, let me close the door. Hold on. I'm gonna lock mine too because my son just came in. Oh. Um, so the expert warrior starts, you know, hitting him with this wooden stick, and the guy gets up and goes, "Why'd you Why'd you do that?" He goes, "You can't learn how to fight unless you get hit." Mm. And the point is, you know, when you're playing with a real sword, you you never actually move as if you're gonna get hit. But when you're actually in an environment where you, you're listening to very real criticisms of Christian, as a Christian, I'm speaking mm -hmm. as a Christian, you're listening to very real criticisms and you're, you're discussing them and you're thinking, you're, you're hearing a Muslim talk about Christianity from an actual Muslim standpoint, or you're hearing an atheist talk about it from an atheistic standpoint. And you have to kind of sit there and say, man, I want to wrestle. I want to understand you. And I want to, that's when because the because Christianity stands on such solid footing and rooting and it's never going to fail it never has there's such a, it's incredible that's when you're in that place you start getting some really strong roots because you're seeing other worldviews and you're examining their pitfalls and you're getting hit a little bit but you get strength and understand how to kind of respond back appropriately that's that's so good man so we were going to start this this coming week the we Sunday the Sunday after Easter. Yeah. Obviously, we're putting that on hold. We're going to talk more about quarantine in a few minutes. Uh, when do you want to do this now? When do you want to wait till the summer? I mean, let's just let's just hash this out now, <laughs> because because you know this is going to be such an amazing thing. I think, and you know, Rafi, we've talked about this. We don't see this staying just at South Loop. I mean, this could be right. something if we record this and do this really yeah. well. Um, how? You know how far this could go this could really this could really um yeah uh, spread sorry i'm getting distracted someone is is posting inappropriate things in the comments right now i'm going to delete that um so the um 
the potential for this is big, but obviously we don't have the opportunity right now that this, the spirit is willing, but the, the quarantine is weak. So how are we, you know, when are we going to do this? Well, Joel, I appreciate you uh, bringing to light the private conversation we were supposed to have yes. two hours ago. We're going to have it now. In the public sphere. <laughs> we talked, okay, so just a little background. Rafe and I have been talking on the phone for like two hours. We were supposed to hash this out, and then we were going to get on and talk about society and church and everything else. Um, instead, we ended up talking about politics and um, uh, China and uh, <laughs> and all kinds of wonderful things. And so, you know, I figure we'll just oh, why not just work it out right now. Why not just work it out? Oh, uh, I don't know. But, you know, the debate it, the, the, to bring everyone into the conversation, the, the question is, do we not do it live and try to move it online? Right. And I think that's a really interesting idea. I think the sacrifice of that, there's something about relationships that was at the heart of this. And I think in the online space, you can certainly discuss with people in terms of building actual face to face relationships is a very different thing. And so, you know, do you sacrifice that for the sake of um, of moving forward? And and maybe there's greater benefit on the other side. So I'd be open to that. I think we need to pray through that and really think through what's the best way to move forward. I think we are on to something really good um, with the live conversations. Um, but I'm open to kind of moving to digital if that's if that's more effective and can kind of get get the conversations wider, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I mean, this is what everybody is wrestling through right now. We yeah. just had Easter online. Who would have ever thought any Bible believing gospel preaching church would have it. Easter online. And yet here we are. So we're, we're reevaluating things. Church is changing. Society is changing. Let's talk about that, man. How do you see things changing and where do you see us going after the coronavirus pandemic and panic have washed over us. How do you how do you see the church? Let's talk specifically, even just the church in Chicago or in the U.S. How are we going to be different when this is all done? Boy, um, yeah, I might come for, come at that from a few different angles. One, I would just say I, I think every minister and and pastor and uh, Christian should be wrestling through that and praying through it. So I don't want to pretend like I have the answers to that uh, with clarity. I, I think we're we're all kind of holding with open hands everything we thought we knew about <laughs> how we how we do ministry and uh, what we expect God to do and the things we're depending on. I think the I'll say this in the last few days alone, uh, I've seen a number of brand new professions of faith in Jesus Christ. Just folks who uh, did not know Jesus, who are in a softened place in their heart, and they're asking more meaningful questions about who God is, about what their purpose is, about who Jesus is, and what their relationship with God is, and uh, making first-time professions of faith in Christ. And I, my, my thought is, when you look at the history of the world, you look at, in times of... When, when you're in a season in life where you suddenly realize you're not as strong as you were, you suddenly realize that, you know, as much as we all want to be our own king, ultimately our own kingdoms fall. <laughs> like we're not, we're not strong enough to sustain our own, own kingdom through every trial life's able to bring. Right. Um, I think that there is a real softening of the human heart to the things that we were actually made for, like a relationship with God. That's historically. And I, I think we're going to see that again. I, I really do think even today, and I don't think this is just a future thing. I think today on this particular date, we're already in a space where around the globe, hearts are softening. Hearts are asking questions they maybe didn't ask before. Um, and I think that's historically where the church is able to really come in and say there, there actually is a hope that meets you in your darkest need, meets you in your weakness, and is sustainable, is true, is real, and will and so I think that we're on the brink of seeing a lot of people come to faith in Jesus Christ. Um, obviously, there will always, you know, there will be stubborn hearts who go the opposite way. Uh, and I, I think that, that you know, we'll see that divide, of course. But I think on the whole, I, I'm, I'm very optimistic that, that God is able to use this uh, to bring about great salvation and to see a lot of people come to faith. And I'm already seeing it. And so that's one bit of fruit I think I'm, I'm, be, I'm really praying towards. Do you think coronavirus has 
been uh, has been good for the the soul of America? Hmm. I would be hesitant to be over simplistic <laughs> with that uh, in my answer, like just saying yes or no. I think, you know, obviously you're dealing with a, a virus that's already taken tens of thousands of lives, uh, which means there's hundreds of thousands of people mourning over that. And so I'd be very hesitant to just quickly say this has been good for the soul of America. That's a, that's maybe oversimplistic. I think in some regards, there's been some, some, some positive things that can come from it. It's like any trial, right? Any, any difficult thing you go through from a biblical worldview. Um, this is why, you know, in the scriptures say, consider pure joy when you experience trials of various kinds, because you know, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness as James, right? We consider it joy because when we're, when our faith is stretched and tried, um, God's able to form something in us. Um, and I think there are some pretty powerful things that are happening right now. I think, uh, you know, we've talked about them plenty of times. the 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 need to slow down and remove some of the uh, the idols that have kept us away from our families. Um, the, just even I was talking to someone recently. They said I, I've been having three meals a day with my family, <laughs> and and you know the the obvious there is that means you weren't having three meals a day with your family. Right. right. <laughs> like were you having three, three meals a month with your family? Like what, what, what was the situation? And, and when you get so far away from God's design for the family and God's design for how we spend our time, um, you know, I think something like this that forces you to restructure and kind of simplify a lot of the busyness and the clutter that comes in your life. Is that a positive thing? Yeah. I think that could re that could bring some, you know, restructuring of how we've organized our lives. It's even the way, uh, you know, we're thinking about church. I think one of the things I've been thinking about as a pastor is God's taken away some of the things I know we need, right? We need the gathering. Like I, we need that. That That's not like, a, ooh, right. we just do this because it makes us feel good. No, we have a biblical mandate to gather together as a local church and God's taken that away from us for a short season. And so I don't think that's a good thing that we're away from each other. But he's also taken away a lot of the idols that we've depended on. Um, you know, some of the conversations we've had in the past with other pastors and with churches is sometimes you err on the side as a church. You err on the side of almost putting on a show, um, trying to be as professional as you can. Sometimes I think you, the church can borrow so many tried and true principles from the business world, which can be great. You know, the world has a lot, there's a lot of wonderful things to learn from it. That Not everything we can know as Christians has to find a pinpoint verse out of scripture. There's a lot to know in the world. I'm grateful for that. And yet, sometimes I think you can pull in so many strategies from the business world and consultants and every other place but the Bible that you kind of just grab the business world and turn the church into a business. And I think sometimes without being forced to really reckon with that, that can happen almost silently in your own church. And so I think God stripped away a lot of that stuff and we're kind of forced to go back to the roots. I'm asking questions that I haven't asked before. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm still wrestling through some of them, so I won't share every, everything I'm wrestling <laughs> with, but I'm wrestling through some of the idols that like I'm in my mind, I'm longing to get back to X, Y, Z and saying, wait, why am I longing for that? Was that rooted in scripture? What if we did it differently? Would that be more biblical? And so I think God's taken some idols away from us, both in the church and in, in culture around us as well. Yeah, that's that's really good, man. I've seen the same thing um, in my own heart. And, you know, I love that you mentioned that people are coming to Christ through this. Mm -hmm. On Good Friday, I had a, a good friend. I've, I've known the kid since I was 12, since, since we were kids. He's obviously not a kid now. Um, and we've been we've been friends since we were 18, 19 years old. He's since moved away, but he called me on Good Friday to let me know that he had repented and trusted in Jesus Christ, oh, wow. become a believer. And I mean, it was just, you know, on Good Friday, yeah. it was just such incredible news to hear that. And so, yeah, God is still working. Yeah. Um, the Apostle Paul said it himself, the word of God is not bound. Yeah. You can't quarantine the gospel. <laughs> it doesn't, no. it doesn't work. It doesn't happen. No. Uh, go governments have been trying to do that. Um, terrorist groups have been trying to do that. Uh, 
uh, social movements have been trying to do that. It doesn't happen. Yeah, you can't you can't quarantine Jesus. Yeah, the, uh, they, the, interestingly, the persecuted church is the one that has been growing like wildfire uh, all throughout uh, Asia, throughout the Middle East. You look at you know it doesn't get reported in the mainstream media, but what's happening with the persecuted church across continents, where you know you're really risking. I mean, especially pastors in some. It, you're a pastor. You basically have a prison or death sentence on you in a lot of places where the church is just just growing like crazy. Growth that we haven't seen since like the first century in the church. Yeah, and, and it's it's hilarious because you look at a place like China, since China's kind of on everybody's minds right now. Right. You look at a place like China, and um you know, they've 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 become the Chinese Communist Party has become a lot more dictatorial in the last say two three years for a while they were opening up they're becoming more not democratic but more more open in terms of their their market and and um uh and, and loosening government control but whatever the communist government tries to do uh you know they're tearing down churches yeah. trying to force churches to register with the government um there's something like 200 million christians yeah. in china now I know that there's there's what a billion and a half people in China, but 200 million Christians is nothing to sneeze at, man. Yeah. And that's and that's you know it's been a closed country to missionaries yeah. for a long time, at least in terms of explicit missionary work. Yeah. And so you can't you can't uh, outthink Jesus. You can't outstrategize the Holy Spirit. It's not going to happen. Joel, you you know what's interesting? I read I read one of the most courage filling articles I read in so long the other day about the Chinese church. Let's hear it. So, you know, sometimes we think in the West, us with all our stuff and our, you know, our buildings and our nice microphones and, you know, all this stuff that we have that, that we depend on, that we have the, the playbook and the structure and all the right things to spread to the world. And in reality, sometimes I think some of the most basic stuff that is uh, required for the Christian faith, you see it exemplified in the persecuted church. I read an article that was talking about uh, Christians in China where they're being so emboldened in, in faith and in, in their evangelism. And the reason is, is because, because they're being forced to wear face masks in public, that the facial recognition system of the camera network throughout China can't recognize them as easily. No way. Having like 10 times more opportunity to share their faith with people. No now, way. I read that. And, and me as a Christian in the West, who I can go out on any day. And we do, right? Joel, we go out sharing the gospel, right? Yeah. Like, and we don't have, there's no, nobody with a camera who's like, we're going to stop you. Right. And yet here are my brother and sister who are rejoicing <laughs> because the cameras aren't going to catch them. I, and there's something in me as a, as a Christian that just gets like fuel put inside of me when I look at them and I say, man, if they can do that there, if that's their mindset, wow, what do I do here with the liberties I have available to me in the West? Absolutely. Like, it, yeah. So it's just fire and fuel for my soul. So two questions. One, Rafe, how are we going to, start things back up again here because I've heard this said that no governor wants to be the one to reopen society because if you do and people die, you're going to be accused of having blood on your hands. But I would say there's probably a similar concern. I'm no longer a pastor, as you know, but um, as a pastor, what's your thought process like here, Rafe? Are you concerned that you're going to open church back up? Um, one, are you concerned you're going to are you concerned about government overreach at all? And I'm not going to ask you to, uh, here's the thing. I'm not going to ask you to stick your neck out too far, but you did right. just talk about boldness in the face of government <laughs> oppression. So are you, are you concerned about, um, about government tyranny here at all? Mm -hmm. And are you concerned about moving too quick to open back up? And then God forbid one of your members gets sick, potentially even passes away mm -hmm. as a result of these gatherings again, how are you and the other elders working through this? What have those conversations been like? And when will we know that it's time to go back? Oh man, Joel, here it's a it's a mess. Uh, 
I, you know, I, I'd start responding to that by saying I'm so glad that God in his wisdom structured elders or structured churches to have a plurality of elders. Amen. And that me with my one mind and my one intake of information is not uh, the deciding factor. I think when you get in that situation, you, uh, you're, it's really dangerous. And I trust churches that have a plurality of elders and the Holy Spirit speaks through that and, and they pray and they go before God and they're asking for wisdom on this. I think that that's very important. Um, and so I'm grateful. I'm on a team. I'm on a great team, you know, and, and on the elder team at our church, we got folks who are from all different types of professions, guys who are doctors and, in, and on the front lines of some of these uh, conversations kind of more citywide. And so grateful to be on a team that can think through that. So 100%, um, you know, what happens in this mind right here, <laughs> praise God, is not the sole deciding factor. There's a team and that should be the case of every good church. Um, I think in terms of what you're saying, let, let's tackle some of these questions one at a time. Am I afraid of government overreach? Of course. Um, I think, you know, uh, there's a lot of stuff that I think churches, uh, we don't necessarily, uh, we don't necessarily have to think about all the time that other churches in other countries do think about all the time. And uh, there's a lot of things that I think are built into you know, I'm going to take this slight different direction, but there's a lot of things built into the fabric of America and what it means to be this particular country and what it means to have certain freedoms that are guaranteed inside the Constitution that um, that actually do speak into this. And it's not always just, you know, if the government says do it, you've got to do it. It's it's not as simple as that. I'm not right. saying that that's not the right answer. Romans 13, we are called to submit to the governing authorities to show respect to that. But that's not just a carte blanche, whatever the government says to do is totally good and fine. It's much more complicated and intricate than that. And I think that as Christians, especially as leaders within the church, but I think every Christian has a real responsibility to, to study and to, to really know the freedoms we have and know what the relationship of the church to the state should be. We're in interesting times, and this is a very interesting moment. We've been in the interesting time for a while, and there's been government overreach and then push, and there's been this back and forth, and we've been watching it. And in this moment right now with COVID-19, there's potential for government overreach, right? So, for example, I saw in New York, I think, I don't know, was it Governor Cuomo or who was it? Was it de Blasio? Mayor de Blasio. I think it was de Blasio who threatened to shut down churches forever. I, I, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I think Permanently. he's going to shut down churches that did not comply with the meeting, like to stop meeting. Yeah. He was going to shut down their buildings permanently is what he said. Yeah. Now that's just a huge overreach. I mean, that's, that's not something that de Blasio could, can say. And now on, on the one hand, uh, there's, you look at where that's rooted in, you look at what he's saying and, and that, what an, what an important conversation should churches be meeting right now? Man, there's a lot of depth to that conversation. Um, but one thing that probably shouldn't be on the table is de Blasio saying, it's my right to say, <laughs> I potentially could shut a church down. That's not a thing. And so we should be having that conversation and not afraid to have space to have those conversations. So is there potential for overreach? Certainly. Should we have eyes open for it? Certainly. Is it my number one concern right now? No, not really. Uh, it's on the radar and I'll keep an eye out, but I think there's other more pressing concerns. Um, uh, at least in my particular space right now. Kind of makes sense on that. Yeah, I think so. When will we know that it's time for churches? You know, when, and, and I'm going to say even irrespective, well, maybe it's not irrespective, but whatever the government may do in the next six weeks to six months, However, that may factor into your decision-making process, mm -hmm. because like you said, Romans 13 doesn't give government carte blanche to just um, overpower churches and dictate to them what churches can do. Those are, we understand as, as Christians that those are separate spheres of influence. There's certainly, mm -hmm. there certainly is some overlap at times, but, yep. but those are God-given spheres of authority that um, in, in most instances do not overlap. Yeah. Uh, but but that's not to say government doesn't have um, insight and, and oversight when it comes to the safety of people. So however you're going to decide it, Rafe, how will you and the other elders know, okay, now it's time, Park South Loop is going to start meeting again? Or or is that just not yet really set in stone? I don't know if you saw Trump on it, one of his most recent uh, uh, 
you know, think news uh, segments he did. But someone asked him the same question: What's your metric? Yeah, I don't know if you saw that moment. They said, "What's your metric for when the government should reopen?" And, and he I, I said, don't think I saw it. "What do you say?" He goes, "It's right in here." <laughs> he goes, <laughs> "He goes, you can have." And, and then he followed up. He said, "There's 35 people that can give you 35 pieces of data, and at the end of the day, you've got to make a hard decision." And I think that he's very right in saying that. There, you have a lot of data points. There's a lot of ifs and that, and you can't you can't keep a government shut down forever. So I'm not a politician. I'm a pastor of a church. I'm thinking about when the right time to open the churches. Um, I, I don't have a very particular metric. Uh, I honestly don't. I, I, wanna, I wanna understand the metrics better so that I can make a wise decision with my team. I know this, I, I, I think the historical precedent, precedent of churches in America in similar situations is that as soon as there was a light at the end of the tunnel, meaning as soon as they saw an opportunity and they said, it looks like this is on the, this is, this is the, the peak has, has passed and we're, we're on the way down. Let's get back. Let's get back with, with reason, with responsibility, with obvious care and all of that kind of stuff. But they had such a high value on the, on the meeting together of the saints. There, there's actually, you know, there's health benefits to the nation for churches getting together, for the moral fabric of society, for the hope that's being built up in people, for community, for those who are in, in depression and in, isolated spaces to be meeting with the fellowship of the saints, with the Holy Spirit, that's good for society as well. Yeah. And these things are things you have to weigh. It's not as simple as you just go back and you cut it off. You just have to have a lot of metrics. You're taking it all in. You're listening well to the governing authorities. But you're also, you are, an, elders are a governing authority as well of a church. They're in a different sphere of governing authority per, per biblical mandate. And they need to pray and take in their data points and seek the Holy Spirit's wisdom and then make hard decisions as well. And so that's what we'll do. We'll pray, we'll make, and we'll, uh, you know, as a team, laboring together, listening to the role of the government in, in, as, as a voice and, and Lord willing, make wise biblical decisions. You know, something just occurred to me as we're talking about the separate spheres of authority between churches and, um, and, the, and the state, state governments, Oftentimes, when a government, and I'm not talking about the United States of America, I'm thinking more about like these totalitarian regimes, when they want to infringe upon the um, the authority of the church, mm-hmm. it's very interesting because what they'll often do is they'll accuse the church of seditious acts, you know, uh, anti-governmental acts and things like that. They actually accuse the church of doing the very thing that the government is doing, which is outstepping and overstepping its rightful sphere of authority. And it's it's this really interesting example of projection. I'm, I'm thinking of um, uh, actually in China, Pastor Wang Yi, who is right now locked up, I think for six years wow. um, on, on uh, and, and man, this brother, whoo, if you haven't read, it looks like it looks like his name is Wang Yi. I believe it's pronounced Wang Yi. Why? W a n g y i. He wrote a letter prior to being abducted by the government, uh, being arrested, that basically said, you know, if I'm arrested, here's why it's oh, going to be. Letter. Of course, yeah. Okay, okay. So, um, but they accused him of, you know, anti-government, uh, anti-anti-state actions, and. You know, his church has released multiple statements saying, look, we're not anti-government. We submit to the governing authorities 100%. But the governing authorities still have to submit themselves to God. And so don't you realize as you are locking us up, one day you will be locked up by angels. (laughs) And you read this letter and it's like, this is a church that has their their theological head on straight. Right. Uh, They understand that, that, you know, as the church, we are not in the business of governing society. That's not what we do. But- We are in the business of word and ordinance and uh, keeping watch over the souls of, mm-hmm. you know, of the flock and of spreading the gospel and in many ways, reforming society, of building hospitals, of caring for the weak and, right. and all the things that churches have been doing that government is terrible at doing because government was never set up to do that by God. Right. And so, you know, when, when you think in terms of separate spheres of authority, or at least distinct spheres of authority. If if there's not a, a hard line, a hard wall between them, there's at least, you know, a semi-permeable yeah. barrier. Um, 
it, it helps to clarify things, but I don't know that it takes away any questions. I think it just gives us, you know, different questions. A di different questions. That's exactly right. It gives you different questions. And I, and I, I do think, you know, you're entering into a, a conversation there that has a lot of different theological rabbit trails to, to go down. I think an important point to realize is that, you know, the Bible does talk about civil government and what its roles and purposes are Amen. and uh, what, uh, what, what the authority a government, a good government uh, should have is and what their purpose is. Bible Bible talks about those things. And it talks about what authority a church government has, right? Church government in the sense of like the leadership of a church to govern the, those who are members of that local flock. Talks about the, if you want to use the word government, I, I, that's the historic word that's used to talk about the family structure, that there's a family governance that takes place and how leadership of a family ought to look like. And so uh, I think that there are there's such a thing as good government and bad government. Uh, and that doesn't mean that the American way of doing government is the is the biblical way per se, right? That's not that. That's not that. But I think there's many ways that could of doing government historically that recognize an ultimate uh, divinity. They recognize God over their government, and that all governments are subject to the ultimate government to God and His judgment. Yeah. And yeah. So amen. Governments stray from that, uh, which happens. Uh, that's not good. Yeah. So in the time we have left, man, as we do emerge from this, and I'm optimistic that it's going to be soon, I think I think we're going to see a lot more bungling on the part of everybody, probably myself included. Most, most, you know, most confidently, you know, I'm going to surely mess this up in some way, but God's got a lot of grace. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at the chief of sinners right there, Joel. It's you. That's right. That's right. Yeah, Paul. <laughs> That's one of my dad's favorite little uh, favorite chestnuts is, uh, you know, Paul said he was the chief of sinners, but he never met you. <laughs> so as we think about reentering society, Rafe, uh -huh. how are things going to be different in the future? How is, how is society six months from now going to be different from society six months ago? Joel, this thing can go a whole lot of ways right now. It really can. I mean, I think everyone's aware of that too. This can go a whole lot of ways. Um, you know, I think people ask that. I, I'm re I've been thinking about 9-11 a lot recently. That was another major kind of like turning point in the history of our nation. Yeah. And I remember right after 9-11 happened, thinking, how could we ever go back? And even even having the thought like, will we ever go back to like large gatherings again? Right, right. I remember those conversations were being had. Will we go back to NBA games? Right. Um, and in one sense, yeah, we went back. And you gave it a little time, and people got comfortable, and you just kind of said, okay, like, such, like part of life is there's always risk for danger. Yeah. But we can't live in fear constantly. And people were afraid of building tall buildings. Right. Uh, and then you look at the skyline of New York now, and, you know, there's like uh, half a dozen World Trade Center height buildings, right. you know, right. throughout the skyline. So yeah, so we get over it. That's and true. So in one sense you get over it. In another sense, you know, every, I, I, I live a half a mile from downtown Chicago and every time I'm in a huge crowd, I, I do go back. Like my mind does think uh, if it flashes regularly before me, you know what, Lord, like it could be right now. Today could be the day that you choose to take me and and I live with that reality. And those were thoughts that probably you didn't have before 9-11. Like those are, your 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 kind of understanding changes a bit. So on the one sense, um, I think that we, you know, assuming that this doesn't send us into some kind of depression or some kind of like total systemic, you know, uh, total alternate universe than what we were living in, assuming that we somewhat keep a normal track, uh, I could see us returning to a lot of normal, but I think the there's something that's changed about the human psyche, the way that we were changed after 9-11, where you know you, you go into a crowd a little differently and you think a little differently. And I think that will stick with us for a long time. Uh, and it's that'll have implications. I don't know what those implications are, but I, I don't think it'll just quickly go away. Um, and it'll and with that, it'll, Lord willing, assuming we do get back to a, a bit of a normal society at some point here soon, um, it'll be a slow on ramp. I think. I don't think it'll be quickly. It'll be slow. I I think you're right, and that's um, honestly that's one of the things that kind of worries me about our transition back into society and and reopening the economy is 
that it will be slow. And I think a lot of people, a lot of business owners are looking forward to their gates being busted down by all the customers. You can't wait to go out. I know for myself, I can't wait to get back out to my favorite coffee shop in right. Old Irving Park. Um, I, you know, I can't wait to be able to go play in the park with my kids, all these different things. But I, I do think it's going to be a slow transition. And I think you're absolutely right. We're going to look at things differently. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things when I do go into a coffee shop or when I go to the mall, I'm thinking about, and maybe this is my natural paranoia. Maybe this is because I'm a, a husband and a dad and I'm thinking about protecting my family, but I'm always constantly thinking, what am I going to do if a shooter comes in here right now? Oh yeah. You know, where's the exit? Am I facing the exit? Is there, is there a back door? And, um, yeah, so things will definitely change. Uh, Rafe, I'm glad that you and uh, and Dan and my other pastor friends are on the front lines of, of helping the church in Chicago navigate through this crisis, uh, not because of your own wisdom, but because um, I know that God is watching over you. I know that God is giving you wisdom. And, I, you know, let's, let's be honest, we draw our wisdom from God's word. And we could be the biggest dummies in the world, but if we follow God's word, it's hard. It's hard to go wrong with that. Right. So yeah. there's a blessed life when you stick to God's word. Book of Proverbs. Amen. Stay close to His word. You try to root yourself upward from the Bible. Start from the Bible. Think upwards and outwardly, and then live that way. Ten. The Bible says there's going to be blessing that follows that, and so that's all any of us can do. Amen. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. Yeah. So um, thank you for watching, uh, Rafe. How can people get more of your thoughts and ideas and follow along with you? Uh, man, uh, I'm, so I'm the pastor of Park Community Church. Uh, I know Dan Osborne's regularly a, a guest on your show. So uh, Pastor Dan and me labor alongside each other. I'm down in the South Loop. Uh, Dan is up north in uh, Forest Glen. So Pastor Park South Loop. I've got a blog, my name, rafechennery.com. Uh, put out some thoughts there from time to time. That's probably the easiest two ways. Excellent, excellent. All right, well, connect with the Think Institute simply by going to thethink.institute and you can follow us on social media. I am newly back on social media. So you can follow me at Joel Sedicase on all the platforms or at the Think Institute on Facebook and uh, Twitter. No, on Facebook and Instagram. Sorry, it's been a little while. Uh, on Twitter, we are at Think Inst. And um, just want to encourage you that this is not goodbye. This has just been a little pit stop along the way of your spiritual journey. I hope that you heard something that you can put into practice over this next week. I want to thank my friend and guest, Rafe, for being on here. This was long overdue, brother, and hopefully it won't be the uh, last time. Um, but uh, God hey. bless you all. And until next time, I hope it made you think. <laughs>